What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says, promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Hello, Hardwood Knox listeners. Welcome to another podcast, our first basketball-centric podcast in quite some time. As such, I have a couple usual quick housekeeping notes to get through. Our decade ranking series will be back shortly. We are going through every team and ranking the top 10 players of their decade. It's me and Adam Frommel, Bleacher Report editor and founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math. So, We will bring that back. It just didn't feel appropriate to do it over the past week and a half, two weeks, given everything that's been going on following the killing of George Floyd. And we published a podcast on that on Monday. We hope, I hope that you listen to it. Um, As usual though, please remember to rate review and subscribe to us on iTunes. That's the best way to help us out. We could also be found wherever else you're consuming your podcast, but if you can throw us a review and a rating in iTunes, we really appreciate it and subscribe. If you've done all those things, word of mouth, retweeting, my promos for this podcast. It, it all helps, and I greatly appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. And definitely make sure that you're following our guest today on Twitter. I'm bringing back good friend and colleague of mine, Grant Hughes, covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. I am going to pick his brain about the NBA's return. We're going to get into not just the format, but teams that this might potentially help or hurt, um, the, the free agency format by which teams can can sign players now, all that good granular stuff. Lastly, though, just want to shout out our sponsor this week, betonline.ag. You'll be hearing from them in just a few short moments. With all of that out of the way, though, Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing well under the circumstances slash hanging in, which are have been my stock responses for several months now. Uh, but I am excited to to talk about this because because of everything that's kind of you know changed the things we're focusing on lately. Um, it is kind of nice to uh, kind of come at this you know new or resumption plan or whatever it's technically being called kind of fresh because honestly I didn't give it a whole lot of thought for a while but sitting down and and looking at it now it's uh there's definitely a lot of interesting things to talk about so I'm uh, excited to do that with you yeah it can definitely be insofar as we're as welcome distractions are appropriate now I do think that that's what it absolutely can be and the the format that they ended up with is interesting so like a quick just the bullet points rundown of it they're bringing 22 teams back. Um, they will all arrive in Orlando at, at Disney sometime in July where they'll have a training camp. I believe there's going to be two preseason games. Then there will be eight regular season games. 
at the end of that time, if the eight seed is more than four games ahead of the nine seed, the eight seed stays the same. That team is making the playoffs. If, however, the nine seed is four games or fewer closer to the eight seed, there will be a play-in tournament where the nine seed either has to beat the eight seed two times in a row or the eight seed just has to win once and they're in. And so I wanted to get your thoughts about where the, I think it's a twofold question is what do you think about knowing all the other uh, proposals that were out there, whether it was 20 teams, bring back 16 teams, uh, you know, forget about conferences, just go with the straight uh, 16 teams as well. Don't even uh, go through the, just the top eight seeds in each conference. Where do you think this, was this a good solution given all that was out there? It certainly seems like, and this is the second part of it, that it's preferential to bringing back all 30 teams, which feels like it would just be wildly unsafe given how the uh, coronavirus does seem to be having this this uptick over the past couple weeks, and I might even say a raging uptick at this point. So bringing back fewer players ultimately helps, but yet you're still more than 16. And so I guess I want to know where you land on it relative to what else was out there and then also relative to how safe it can possibly be. Yeah, I mean, it's there's just a lot to unpack um, with this. The the first, so my my first thought, just kind of considering what was on the table or what was rumored to have been on the table and what ultimately the league and the players association arrived at, is that this really feels to me like a plan that was very obviously arrived at through a ton of consensus building and sort of a committee approach. Because for for we'll get to the the, the other parts of your question in a second, but like, it seems to me like it was designed to prevent as much complaining by various potentially aggrieved parties as possible. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, the people that wanted it to be, that didn't want 30 cause it was unsafe and it was just crazy. Um, okay. We're going to appease you. Let's make it 22. The people that wanted it to be 16 had that happened, you would have had just whatever the Pelicans or just to use them as an example saying, well, Hey, we, what about us? Like we, do we need to talk about the schedule being easier and Memphis is being hard? We had a chance, like we were going to be, so it appeases them. I think it also cuts out one of the main concerns to, to some extent of teams just being there, like looking around, like, why are we here? Like, what is the point of this? Like if you're the warriors, for example, who have been checked out forever, so you're tr- you're sort of trying to serve a, a ton of disparate interests, and so this is very this is an imperfect plan to me. I, I would have preferred 16 teams. I think if you do complain about not getting in as the ninth, tenth, eleventh seed or whatever, um, you look kind of reckless and self interested because, and additionally, kind of like, well, you had three quarters of a season to get into the top eight. You didn't do it. So um, sorry, but you don't get to like, there were ways to be harsher towards a lot of parties, but it does seem like they, they really just tried to do the thing that prevented the most complaining, which obviously since I'm complaining about it now, it didn't eliminate (laughs) all the complaining, but, but you know what I mean? Doesn't it feel that way to you or, or am I, you know, or is there something that clearly like could have been done differently or better in your mind? So I totally agree with you. The one thing I will say though, is that I feel like there's this, this entire thing is a revenue grab. The sure, the entire cavalierness with which we're approaching this and talking about the return when there's still a lot of real world risks out there. And we are ultimately talking about a game, but it's a very lucrative game. And so the whole thing's a money grab, but bringing back the wizards and the Suns like feels like it goes a, a touch too far. 
to me. Like, why couldn't you just settle on 20? Is it beneficial to the way you're going to build out the schedule and maybe you want to give some of these fringe playoff teams squads that they could potentially beat up on? Because that's the, you know, even if you're all on semi-level playing field because you have to face the the same teams, like you're still playing better teams if you're the Pelicans than you were scheduled to play for the rest of the year, just overall. And maybe that had an element to do with it, but it felt like they went, if you were going to bring back more than 16, it felt like they just went, two teams too far because I don't see the value in watching the sons of the wizards play at this point. The, I think Kevin Pelton for ESPN did like a hundred simulations of this and the Suns didn't end up in the nine seed once in those hundred simulations. And so it's just, at some point it's just like, why, why are they back? And I think, look, if, if by some small miracle, the wizards end up getting in, if I'm the magic or the nets, I'm, I'm actually pissed at that point. Like, because there's, there's just, I, I don't know, like you had su- this such a large distance and you've thrown everyone back into at this time where they've had off for so long, maybe they're they're super rusty. The flip side is maybe they're they're healthier. And it could it could probably work the same way for the Grizzlies, although I don't think they have the they won't have the same schedule argument to lean on as the, the Magic or Nets would, where those even if you have an easier schedule among the Eastern Conference teams, like it's just gonna be closer because of how bad the Eastern Conference is after the the tippy top. And so with Memphis uh, but that comes back to your point. They definitely did try to appease all the parties involved because Memphis is a loser. If you look at it from the perspective of it would have been great if it was just 16 teams because then they're automatically in. But at the same time, now they do have to lose two times in a row or give up a huge lead at this point. Should they like drop out um, to not make the playoffs? And so that definitely helps them. I just feel like having the Suns and the Wizards there is just kind of like you know, a revenue grab and, and, and pointless beyond that. I, I think I agree with that. I, I guess... So the, and and really the problem is um, the the Wizards or the Suns would have to do so well in these eight games and not stumble at all f- to avoid a situation where like I mean realistically for the last like six of these eight or maybe even more they they're playing for nothing there to- there's no incentive they they have nothing to gain except I guess you know like you said the revenue and that really is the thing that underlies all of this there there is a you have to start with the understanding that the the safest thing to do would be to not do this at all, mm. right? So implicit in that is the fact that, well, we're doing this principally because we want to make money. And so I think you have to view that. You can't ignore that as like the starting point of why any of this is happening. Um, so while I think there are definitely you know safer safer ways to do this, um, it does seem clear that that was not the principal concern. I, and I want to ask you, do you, so a lot of people have been talking about how, you know, they, they said from the outset, we're, we're, we're making our decisions based on a, the data and not the date. And then the pushback after all this stuff came out was that, well, we've got the date, but we don't have the data. Um, and, and I mean, I'll just give you my thought on it first. I, I think that I, I'm not as bothered as other people seem to be by the fact that the NBA has not specifically released a lot of what sort of the best practices and its plans will be if things go sideways or if there's an outbreak or, I mean, we have some information, but I actually don't mind that so much because I think it's a realistic like assessment of how little we do know still and that we're, this is evolving and we're getting more information. So to release some plan right now, if here's the protocol for X, Y, and Z, uh, when you don't really know if that's the best plan yet seems logical to me but then at the same time if you're in a situation where you don't know what the best plan is going to be 
like maybe we're a little ahead of ourselves still. So that's uh, that. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to wrestle with. What did you think? No, I agree with you. And if you're going to base it on the data, my my guess is, and I'm not an epidemiologist, so let's take everything I say with a grain of salt here. <laughs> I would assume the two most important things would be testing capacity when you're looking at the number of tests that are being done in the United States per day, because there there's an optics thing to this. You're testing NBA players daily, essentially. And then also contact tracing, because you need to figure out, you know, is quarantining the player who tests positive enough, or are you going to be able to figure out when he caught it, whom he caught it from, whether his teammates are at risk of showing symptoms later on, as opposed to um, if they test negative at the time when when a player tests is positive. And I'm just wondering how you grapple with that, but you kind of alluded to it, the unknownness of it all. Can't, you can't just spur the moment all of a sudden be like, oh, we're getting enough tests done as a nation per day. Like, let's just start up right now. There needs to be a plan in place. And so I, I do, this is clearly not the most reckless re- way to restart, but there was no way to restart without some kind of ingrained risk. And I think the NBA is banking pretty hardly, roundly on the nation just being better equipped to handle positive tests a month and a half from now. Because... Just from all the numbers I've been reading, like we're still not really at where we should ideally be in terms of testing capacity. And then you are seeing like a lot of the numbers go up where, you know, today we're recording this, we're recording this on June 9th. It said, I was reading that Texas is at like 63% capacity of its, its hospitals right now, which is pretty much the peak of where it's been throughout this coronavirus pandemic and the, the cases per day continue to go up. So as the economy continues to reopen, uh, I'm based in New York and, and we're starting to reopen now as well. Uh, there's, I still feel like there's an unknownness as to whether the NBA will actually start back up again, because if this thing does really return like a bat out of hell, and I do feel like a lot of people, maybe some experts don't necessarily expect that to happen immediately. Uh, but if it does, I would think that it puts the entire return at risk, not just the approach that they're taking. Yeah, that's true. I think, I, you know, I think I'd been thinking of the uncertainty in terms of, well, what's going to happen if someone in the bubble, is, you know, we have we have several cases. How, well, how is this handled? We know they're going to do a 10 day quarantine and you've got to test negative twice before you can play again or be back with the team or out of quarantine or whatever. But, yeah, there's still this overarching uncertainty of like, I mean, it, 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 who knows what's going to happen as in the nation and across the world over the next few weeks before we start this whole thing, like there could just be a set of circumstances where we say like, actually let's just not do this. Um, but I, I guess I think, I think probably uh, you mentioned the testing capacity. I think as much as anything, the, the decision to sort of put out the data of when we're going to start or the date, I guess, since I differentiated those two um, and lay out some plans had a lot to do with, I think people sort of, it felt like a PR thing to some extent, like, okay, we don't look bad for hoarding all these tests when people can't get them. Like there's a certain, you know, we, we, we can look like we're not being irresponsible or selfish or, or unconcerned about the rest of the, you know, whatever. Um, so I think that was a factor too, uh, in addition to the money, the money issue is just, it doesn't, it could have looked a lot worse, I guess, is what I'm saying. If we had, if the league had tried to start this any sooner, for sure. I do find it odd though that they said this is all rooted in data, their decision making, but like they haven't really talked about the data. No. While, while um, going through all this, and one of the things that I actually wanted to ask you though, so the protocol that's installed, you talked about the 10 day quarantine if a player tests positive, and they need to test negative twice. 
I, I don't want to find out about this. I want to make this very clear. But so, so the NBA is going to allow teams to bring in a player um, should that happen. Uh, I, but they have to pick from a pool of either players who've been in the G League or played in, been on an NBA roster this season, which I feel like in these extreme circumstances, just make a J.R. Smith or a Jamal Crawford eligible or a Lance <laughs> Steven. I'm not a Lance Stevenson guy, but like just make those players eligible. But the one thing I want to question is, one, how much of a difference does it actually make? Because those are all, even if they were just signed right now, those are all end of roster guys anyway. But two, does does the NBA's medal get tested here if it's a if it's a superstar that tests positive while the playoffs are going on? And all of a sudden, again, I don't want this to happen, but poof, LeBron James tests positive or Giannis tests positive. I'm just very, I, I feel like curious is the wrong word. I just, I, that's going to be, like if it's that type of a player who tests positive, does all of this then go out the window a little bit? Or do you just you know, take it on the chin and, and move forward, either hope their team is still alive so that uh, their season maybe isn't entirely impacted slash ruined by the absence. You just accept the fact that the season was going to have, uh, you know, these caveats attached to it anyway. I honestly, this sounds all great in theory, 10 days quarantine, two positive tests, but if it's a truly indispensable player, it doesn't even really have to be a superstar. If the, if the Rockets lost PJ Tucker for 10 days, like they're fucked. And so yeah. I'm very curious to see whether the NBA... Again, curious might be the wrong word, but if it does happen, will the NBA stand by this protocol? Well, what's the alternative? They just, I mean, they let let him keep playing? I mean, no, I, I was going to say, does do things get, I, I guess not all things get shut down, but do they start, like, do they have a, a plan in place where the games get spaced out longer so you're ensuring that he doesn't miss the rest of the season if it's 10 days that he has to, to sit out? But I guess there's really no way to do that, and so you just have to suck it up because they're not, I do agree with, Look, regardless of where anyone stood with how we should have handled this in the first place, we, as a country, botched it entirely. And two, if you are going to reopen up again, you probably, you have to be at a point, I know people call the NBA out for this, but you do have to be at a point where you're comfortable with a positive test. I'm not saying that's right, but it doesn't make sense to start up again if you are going to shut down once someone tests positive. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to backtrack, so your first question about the these potentially, you know, potential, I guess you call them replacement players, like, there's no way any of these guys are going to matter. Because if, if you are a, you know, unless I mean, no, there's no way I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with myself, there's no way they matter, because they're end of bench guys. Um, if you're in a playoff situation, those guys don't play anyway. Um, and if you're in a situation where you're replacing these dovetail, it, where you're replacing LeBron, Giannis, whoever, again, God forbid, uh, 10 million times uh, that this is an issue. But if a significant player tests positive, uh, it, it, to it, it just doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you have bigger problems than like, is this 12th guy any better than our last 12th guy? So, um, yeah, I think that's a huge risk. I do think that there, there's a certain subset of people that are going to view this champion at, with an asterisk basically no matter what happens um which i don't know that i necessarily disagree with because it's going to be a weird set of circumstances that produce the champion this year no matter what but i mean look they're all, all every team and every player is subject to the same risks uh so i i mean i just can't envision a scenario where anything changes in terms of the nba's plan um based on the ability or importance of the player potentially testing positive like you just if it's a huge name like tough shit like that's just it's, your your season's over um but it, i just don't see any way 
to because you can't stretch this out any longer. You can't you can't push this even farther back. Like that December first date for the 2020-21 season is insane to me. There's no, no way that's November happening already. November 1st for training camp when the finals, yeah. if it goes to a game seven, could end on October 12th. Think about no. that. And I mean, that just is indicative of how, uh, not flimsy is the wrong word, but how fragile, uh, fragile, how little margin for error there yeah. is, how how desperate almost it seems that the league was to get this going now. Um, because honestly, the long it's almost to the point now where and look, they're going to be the first sport back because I don't think, I mean, unless baseball it just overcomes decades of, of labor strife and figures this out, um, it's already happening late enough to where the next season is severely impacted. So you, you just, there's no more days to mess around with if, if, if you wanted to change things up to sort of afford teams a chance to get healthier or, or get back, you know, to, to beat positive tests and get back to negative. Um, there's just nothing else to do. Attention Hardwood Knox listeners, there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. The one thing I was going to ask you, because I wanted to ask you about the start of next season and a whole bunch of other stuff, actually, too. Do you see they're going to have the transaction window before the league officially starts back up again? Do you see any just of the eligible free agents that are out there when you're looking at a, a Tyler Johnson, a CJ Miles? I know these, these names are getting pretty dark here at this point. Uh, an Alan Crabb, uh, a Demarcus Cousins. Do you, do you see maybe a potential difference maker out of the bunch? Like, is it the Spurs don't have Lamarcus Aldridge anymore? Would Demarcus Cousins potentially help them, or do you think that that transaction window is? save for a team like the Thunder being able to figure out the the contract situation with Abdul Nader, it, it really, that transaction window is mostly meaningless. I think it is mostly, I know it's a bad answer to a to question designed to kind of spark a discussion. I, so let's just hypothetically, let's take, um, I mean, Jamal Crawford is a guy that people talk, you know, he's not, in, he's not included. Wouldn't have made a difference in any real way, I don't think, uh, to, to settling the standings and then the playoff race. So let's take Cousins, right? Like I, because I, I've seen him mentioned as someone that might make a difference. I just like in what what have we seen from and and over the past couple of years from him um, prior to the knee injury, you know, post Achilles. It's just like there's just you know the best way you could the best hope I think is if let's just say Alan Crab, Alan Alan Crab somehow wins you a playoff game because he hits nine threes, you know, in in 22 minutes or something. You know, that's to me, that's the only scenario where any of this matters. But again, like if these guys really were primed to make a difference on a playoff team, they would have already been doing that, you know? So I hate to cop out, but I just, it, to, to me, it feels more like a, an opportunity for teams to, again, it's the appearance of, of fairness and, and giving everybody an opportunity to sort of come in with their, you know, best makeup that they can. But um, I, I just have a hard time seeing any of these guys m- making a huge difference. Do you see anyone out there that like 
you could swing a game, a series, anything? No, if you if we weren't talking about Demarcus Cousins technically working his way back from both an Achilles injury and an ACL injury, but maybe, but I could see him making a difference for some team some team, but what were you even if he was still even if he was on the Lakers right now still, like what difference could he have potentially just made for them? He's been out for so long. And who even knows how healthy he is? Would I be you know, he has the like the the off-court stuff uh, against him now, and so I understand anyone who doesn't necessarily want him in the league. I would be interesting functionally, tactically, to see what he would look like on the Spurs, just because they seem like a team that could find utility in his skill set. But that's just assuming that said skill set even exists still. That's the thing, right? And, and yeah, yeah. So I just, I just don't know. I mean, you know, you we've been talking about the 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 Wizards and the Suns as like, what are you doing here? Um, the Spurs, I think, have joined that group now too. Uh, it just, you know, there right. are. Aldridge's on-off stuff was rough this year and, you know, whatever. But um, this with him not there, I just, what are we going to – is Derek White going to triple the incredible playoff breakout of last year? I just Jake I don't Puddle. see it. No, oh, hey, I love that guy. I've been working on a lot of free agency stuff lately, and I keep coming back to that guy, <laughs> which maybe just speaks to the quality of the class, I guess. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, he might be a top 10, top 15 free agent this summer when you just look at the – market of players and then you know you have to kind of weed out but like the martin rosen shouldn't be opting out of his contract in my opinion it's going to take him more than two seasons to me to get that money back somewhere else but uh jake puddle Jakob pertle though he he could end up being a little too high up there do you see let's start with the good here do any players individually or teams as a whole stand out as benefiting ultimately from this what's going to end up being a like four month hiatus yeah, so there, I, I think there are a couple pretty substantial winners, um, and and the first is the the Clippers as a whole, and and it's only for one reason, and that's that if you assume that they're going to have to go through the Lakers to win a championship, now they don't play a seven game series, quote unquote, at home with every fan in the in the crowd being a Lakers fan. Like I think for the Clippers getting a neutral site means a lot um, because it's it's not an advantage, obviously, because that's not how neutral sites work, but it removes a disadvantage they were going to face. Yeah, but what if the um, Lakers bring their own court with them? Come on, Grant. <laughs> if that happens, I mean, just like, let's scrap this whole thing because that would be insane. I actually have heard that that was something they were talking about is shipping these courts uh, to Orlando, but like, I'm out if they do that. There's the, I'm sorry to interrupt, did you see what um, Nick Nurse was talking about when he coached in Belgium about how they gave... Uh, advantage to teams that had the better records with the way they did the playoffs. I did. There's four divisions in the Belgian professional league. And, and it was actually if, a benefit to the worst team. I misspoke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so if a division one team played a division four team, the division one started the game in a 30 to nothing right. hole, which like that doesn't make, I mean, so no, actually the, before I, I want to talk about a couple other teams or, and players, but um, I don't think they should do anything for home court advantage. Do you? I no, think they absolutely should not. The other like team is still losing out on like you're yes, you're losing out on your four of seven home games. They're losing out on their three of seven. And I like you said, perhaps it's an advantage for the Clippers to play in neutral territory, but I don't know which teams you look at, particularly the underdogs, and say, Well, they're gonna be at advantage because they're playing in a neutral site. I like, I don't know Dallas. No, I don't, I don't know which team stands out. Like yes, the Clippers, but the Clippers are going to also end up being the two or the three seed, probably the two seed in the West. And so now you're talking about 
like a Western Conference Finals thing where you're going to give the Lakers more possessions, or do we put the Lakers up ten to zero to start the game? Uh, let the Lakers uh, ship their court, like fly to like the the whole thing was just absolutely ridiculous. The other one that was talked about was like giving one player like a LeBron James like eight fouls or something like that. I just don't. I feel under the circumstances, and maybe this is simplifying it too much, but like just play basketball at this point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think. The the only argument that teams that want some sort of concession as a home court advantage replacement is that like, well, you're devaluing the regular season because what do we do all this for if we're not getting some kind of advantage? But it's like, I don't know, man, like we all got to make some sacrifices. We're trying to do this crazy undertaking like you can you can deal with not having a home crowd because the other team is not getting one. So suck it up, basically, is would you know, there's no real leg to stand on there um sorry but yeah, I, no, I derailed your answer to the question i apologize yeah well, you know th- so it, really the rest of these all sort of fall into some variation of like player x is getting healthy um which you know wouldn't have happened potentially so like the blazers for example i don't think the blazers have a chance but they kind of potentially are going to have two starters back right because nurkic was going to be back basically right before the league shut down but now he's three months further away from that um, and I guess that's potentially a positive who knows conditioning is the other downside issue. We probably need to talk about who, the big, the big unknown in terms of what kind of shape certain guys are going to be in, but you get Nurkic, you get Zach Collins. Suddenly that's kind of interesting. Maybe the Blazers make a run. Boston get Kemba's knee maybe gets healthier. Doncic gets his wrist, his thumb, his ankle, all that stuff theoretically feels better. Um, so those are the kind of you know, Ben Simmons in Philly, obviously Horford looked like he needed a break. And so he got one. So there's those types of things seem to me like the cleanest ways to sort of slap the winner label on some of these teams. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you have anyone else that I, that I didn't mention or another way to kind of think of uh, who, who comes out ahead here? There's probably only one that would maybe deviate like a little bit off your path, but then like ones that fall into it, you know, Victor Oladipo in Indiana started perking mm-hmm. up a little bit. Uh, on offense before the league shut down, but he was also dealing with right uh, knee flare-ups beforehand as well, and so giving him more time off. Um, And to your point about the Blazers, I would be worried about bringing back guys who've missed that much time. You know, I feel like this would benefit a Ben Simmons or an Al Horford who've been playing or missed a little bit or semi-significant amount of time. For the Blazers with Collins or Nurkic, it's just a matter of, to me, I don't want to say just having extra bodies, but that's if their conditioning's not there, and I don't know how you could expect it to be, it's like, all right, you know, the the backup center minutes get a lot easier now because either Nurkic is starting and gets yanked early or he comes off the bench like behind Whiteside to begin with. You also have Collins to kind of play around with there, so that certainly helps. Uh, The one that I'm thinking of is Houston with James Harden, who... Oh, great point. I was going to say that. Please go ahead. the, The narrative on him in the playoffs has, you know, gotten too extreme, but he has petered out in key moments in the playoffs where at least regardless of if he was playing or scoring or impacting the offense in a great way, like he, it doesn't seem like he's at his peak, uh, a sustained peak during the playoffs. And this is to say that no player usually is because they've gone through in a whole regular season, but he just seems so more invested in the regular season than most. And he also carries a larger load on offense than most of the guys in league to begin with. You're going to give him four months off, assuming that he didn't spend the million dollars at the strip club all in that three to four month span. Like that rest is going to do him well. And the Rockets, because we're talking about their best player, they become a whole different kind of threat. If you're going to say, you know, James Harden over the past 
uh, four playoff campaigns is shooting like 32% from three or something ridiculous like that. So if you're going to have like James Harden being James Harden, that ends up being a, a huge deal. I totally agree. If you just look at, if you're getting November to January of this season, James Harden, I think suddenly the Rockets are, are like, they can beat anybody. Um, but if you're getting post January and, you know, where chronically wearing down Harden, then anybody can beat the Rockets, frankly. Um, yeah, that, no, that's a huge one. I think, um, it, 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 he really gets us into the conditioning thing, right? Like you're talking about, well, what's it, what about Nurkic being off and Collins for so long against these guys that have been playing? It's like, I don't know what the baseline of conditioning is that we're going to be measuring guys like that against, because it seems like a fairly safe bet to say that everybody, at least like in terms of quote unquote basketball shape and having their, their wind is going to be not looking great. At least I would guess these first eight games, these regular season games are going to be kind of a mess. Um, and guys are going to be pretty gassed um, just because, you know, that's how that's just what happens with with layoffs, unless you're playing consistent NBA minutes, it seems like. Um, so I, I guess the so there's that. And then there's these other guys, these sort of like we all know who we're talking about when we say, like, you know, I, is this guy going to be in shape? Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of those guys that really matter. Like, what's Joel Embiid going to look like? Is Jokic? So Jamal Murray said Nick Jokic has a four pack now, so he's on the way. Um, but, like, what's Zion Williamson going to look like? It seems like it was a pretty big priority to get the Pels involved in this. Um, they didn't have to. Um, it, what's How's he going to look? Is Doncic going to be a little sluggish? I just you know, even though I just said he's going to get healthier, there's a lot of guys that really matter that until I see him on the floor, I'm going to be a little skeptical that they're in, in prime shape. No, I'm, I'm, I'm probably with you there as well. And, and that, that's why so much sort of goes into wondering what type of basketball we're going to see, because having the training camp, having the eight regular season games, I think that ends up acting as a good buffer, but those games matter right from the start, particularly not, you know, forget about the, the playoff seeding battles within the, the teams that have essentially clinched. But if you, if you want anything um, resembling compelling playoff races in for, for the eight seed, especially in the Western conference, like what type of basketball are we going to be watching? How ugly is it going to be? Will it be ugly? I know a lot of people have said, well, you know, the beginning of the regular season isn't always ugly. And I would probably tend to agree with that at the same time. Like these are different circumstances. These guys have not had the same type of access over these right. past over what will end up being four months. So th there is sort of the potential for this to kind of fall off the rails pretty quickly, where at least through the first round, if not the entire playoffs, like we're going to need to use the hashtag. Uh, it was lockout ugly. So maybe it's like pandemic uh, ugly or something. <laughs> pandemic pretty. Maybe, maybe that's what it should be called or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's uh you do see the data that it gets trotted out every so often, or maybe it was just this year that it got like really widely circulated about how based on the tracking information, those first, the first X number of games of the regular season, like the first 10 or something, guys are moving way faster on average and covering way more ground. There's just like a, like an exuberance that happens at the beginning of the season where guys are all over the place and then it just tails off and it kind of levels out towards, towards the middle of the year. So maybe, maybe I'm being too negative with this conditioning stuff and maybe guys will just be like raring to go. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, as much as we've talked about how the potential for like sort of non-competitive bullshit with some of these, uh, you know, sub 500 teams being involved, like I do think guys are going to, I think there will be an, a pretty high level of intensity, don't you? Like, I can just imagine 
guys being wanting to play, first of all, and some of these teams that thought they had no chance suddenly having a chance to, to play for something, and you can really go all out for eight games and sort of see what happens. I do think there's the potential for at least some you know pretty high-level competition in terms of like effort. Um, I don't know what that says, but I have no idea what the quality might be like, though. Yeah, but if you're looking at especially some of the middle playoff teams um, in the West, the Oklahoma City, Utah, um, who if, you know, once we get to asking teams or players that this hurts, the Jazz seem like they're uh, pretty adversely impacted by it. But the the Nuggets, like who you end up playing in the first round, the Rockets, who you and the Mavericks, it, ma- it really matters who you're going to play in the first round. So I feel like those teams are going to end up caring. And there's a little bit of that in the Eastern Conference, but it might be the reverse. Because if you're if you're the Pacers, let's say, or the Sixers, do you want the six seed instead of the five seed or the four seed because it ensures that you don't have to play Milwaukee until the Eastern Conference Finals? I honestly don't know. And so maybe there's sort of that like reverse effect. But Brooklyn and Orlando, and I'll throw Washington in there, but that's more like you know, good job, good effort, you made it here. Congratulations. Uh, you don't want to finish an eighth if you're those teams because you're just going to get absolutely demolished by the Bucks in four or five games in the first round. So th- there is the potential, I think, for for teams to care. I just wonder whether that level of interest will translate into the the aesthetics of, of the product. And I'm not even trying to be a pessimist here. I'm very open-minded to that. It could end up being just spectacular, maybe almost like nothing happened. It's just weird watching it in an empty gymnasium with like NBA 2K noise pumped through or something. So, but I'm hopeful that it won't be ugly. But I do think you're right. There's there is the potential for there to just be more engagement uh, than there would be typically at the end of the regular season where a lot of teams would be benching their best guys. They're going to be one, trying to get them into shape. Like that's just ingrained into this model, but also two, you have a very short amount of time to figure out some pretty big, important questions. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good, do you want to get into who um, kind of, you know, not got screwed, but who, who kind of comes out, worse in, based on how this, this setup looks. Yeah. I'll throw it to you since uh, you are, you are the guest. Is there any team or player that stands out as just losing in some form because of all this? Well, uh, so the first thing, and this kind of ties into the, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with the home court thing, but like, I think teams that are dominant at home for whatever reason, and we know the reason I'll just say Miami, like Miami has a killer home record. Cause there's a lot, there's a few things you can do as a road team in Miami the night before. I think that's a huge part of it that Miami's 27 and five at home and they're five games under 500 on the road. Yep. Um, they don't have that now. Um, the Sixers are the most extreme example. Actually, I don't know if you know this, maybe you've seen this stat out there. So they're the Sixers are 29 and two at home, 10 and 24 on the road. That's the biggest split in home road winning percentage since the NBA started the 82 game schedule in 67 or 68. I forget what year. So like, I mean, they had a team that proposed uh, shipping the home court. They they probably wanted to like airlift the whole arena. Like I just, (laughs) I don't, I don't know how much to read into a split that that's severe. That's that severe because like, it's incomprehensible to me that a team could be that different based on where it's playing. But like, look, I mean, if the Sixers are 10 and 24 on the road, like these are road games, basically. Like I just, that's crazy to me. But like you said, the Sixers probably want to, you know, they're figuring this out with Indy for five, six, like you definitely want to get Miami instead of Boston in the first round, but then (laughs) Miami sucks on the road too. I was like, I don't know. There, there's there's a bunch of weird permutations for that, but um, I think certainly like, the West is more interesting in terms of seeding, don't you think? There's a lot more like 
in Utah is maybe you want to give your take on Utah and sort of what 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 situation they're in. So look, now you've lost Bojan Bogdanovich, and I'm just wondering if he has the surgery either just earlier in the year or as soon as the NBA is shut down. Because I think when it when they closed the doors, it was pretty obvious it was going to be for quite some time. Was there a chance that he could have ended up coming back? And so I I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But if you made that decision quicker, well, this has been easier. But now you're sort of the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert drama, assuming that it does exist, and I'm going to trust just based off the who's reported that there was some tension there, I'm going to assume that there is or was. Like Now you kind of have to work that shit out. Um, will it manifest in any way on the court? Maybe not. Joe Ingles has said that it's going to be fine. We haven't heard anything about it in over a month, I feel like. But all those things are are really coming back. And I'm I'm very interested to see what Rudy Gobert just looks like playing after everything that's happened because he's been used as a scapegoat for all this. I don't necessarily think it's fair. I also don't think that the jokes that were made were were unfair. That's the risk that he took when he was so haphazard and didn't take it seriously in public. But he felt like he was, I don't want to say checking out, but he just wasn't up to his normal level on on defense kind of when the, the NBA did shut down. And so is, is this going to rejuvenate him? Does it throw him like off his game at all? I, I think you could say that about pretty much any player, but just because of the circumstances now surrounding him and the Jazz, I do think that their return is a heck of a lot more interesting because now more so than ever, you need Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert to just be at their peak because you've lost who I think you can safely say was uh, Utah's third best player this season. You know, the other problem they have is they pretty much suck against anyone they could potentially play in the first round other than Dallas. Um, the Rockets, they, so the Rockets smashed them. Well, it's one, the, the Jazz are one and two against Houston this year, but the negative 5.9 net rating, negative four against OKC, negative 4.2 against Denver. Um, like, even if there were none of this stuff. And I think the Bogdanovich injury is just like crippling, I think, because they just don't have another guy that can do what he does. Unless Conley's um, all of a sudden Conley again, which you definitely cannot assume. Yeah, I just I just am not ready to to, to go that way. And, or maybe maybe like, uh, I don't know, maybe Joe Ingles just can play the four now all the time and replace him there. Um, it, it just like Utah feels to me like a team that, I mean – you know, I'm sure they're glad to be here, but the vibe, like you said, all along just wasn't good. And now you've got this injury and also these head to head potential, uh, you know, matchups are, are definitely not favorable to them. Um, I think too, like we've, you know, I'm skipping around a little bit too, but, um, how do you think the, do you think the Pelicans feel better or worse about this setup versus having played, just playing out the regular season? If we imagine none of this ever happened. I'm assuming they'd rather play out the regular season just because there is still a team in front of them. And so you just having more games will just give you the opportunity to create that separation. Uh, the upshot being there would be no play in tournament if the regular season finished out. They could probably like track toward indifference. I do think that they, at full strength, assuming no one gets hurt, can feel pretty good about a potential, oh, we need to go 2-0 against the Grizzlies if that's what ends up happening and if the nba is really going to just build out the schedule at least in some similar image of what it was supposed to be for these teams looking at their strength uh, perhaps there's no like real margin of opportunity lost for them but I, I do not know but i think it's i i think if you're them you would have rather played out the regular season just because you had the opportunity to, to beat up on some inferior opponents and now even if your schedule is easier relative to the rest of the teams that are left the teams that are left are still 
either bona fide playoff teams or, or fringe playoff teams. And so uh, there's something that could go wrong there. Where do you sort of land with them? Well, so yeah, my first reaction was that, oh, I'd be pissed if I were them because, you know, there were projection systems. I think, I think, I think Raptor or whatever, 538, they had like a 60% chance of making the playoffs if the regular season. Yeah, had I think gone they were 538 statistical pick to finish in the eighth spot when the. That's right. Out. And I mean, and, and Memphis had like a 14%. It was something crazy. Um, they just, Memphis, everybody just thought Memphis was dead because of that schedule, which I think might have been overblown a little bit. You just can never tell what the last few games of a season are going to look like, who's going to be trying and who's not. Like tough, you might catch the Bucks, but the Bucks might not play anybody, you know, so it's hard to be sure. But but I also think that like if you're the Pelicans, you come into this really probably telling yourself, we are absolutely one of the eight best teams in the conference mm-hmm. based on you know our healthy roster um and so it's just there in front of you if you want to make the playoffs you're going to have every opportunity i think it's pretty hard for me to imagine a scenario where um they're not in a play-in situation um i just don't i don't think you know sacramento or and maybe portland but you know who knows um i just i just think that they don't really have to be that good to keep within that four game window of Memphis. And I think they're going to get their shot. So I guess they can't be that upset, but, but that 60% figure really stuck with me as like, Oh man, they, they probably would have made it if we just played it out. Yeah, no, that that's a good point as well. If I, another team though, to continue skipping around that I think ends up just being hurt. And this is more maybe optically or opportunistically, you talked about how, you know, if you're the Lakers or the Bucks, even the Raptors, like you can be upset about losing home court advantage. And so Milwaukee's dealing with not only that, but now just sort of the herky-jerky circumstances under which this is coming. Like what if there's just the potential that like, like something goes wrong for them? And like they, you know, losing home court advantage is, I would argue, even bigger for them because you are dealing with Giannis Antetokounmpo's future. Now, I want to make this clear. I think he ends up signing the Supermax and staying, but this is now did you has your title window with him if he does decide to enter free agency or not sign that extension has it been just superficially shortened because you're not going to or at least you don't have the same it's going to be tougher to win this year i think that's what i want to kind of make clear yeah there's a chance that maybe they could rip roll through the east but you don't have home court advantage anymore and then just what if something goes wrong what if one of these teams is just so well rested or really just catches fire at the wrong time and you know we saw the bucks were kind of like in a for them, at least in a little bit of a lull when uh, the NBA did close its doors. So if they end up losing, it ends up becoming like this this huge deal and they can almost harp on the fact that they were better positioned to win, in my mind, clearly uh, before the coronavirus hit. I think one one way to frame it, for, at least from the Bucks' perspective, uh, is that every single thing that makes this new proposed setup interesting or like potentially exciting or unpredictable or different is a bad thing for the bucks right because yeah. like they just spent the regular season demonstrating you know these la- they actually lost three in a row before the hiatus but they spent the season just smoking everybody like set you know getting up there in in you know an all-time point differential uh top five i think or something crazy like that per game um and and just like we are the best team in the nba based on this rate, like full stop, our, our, our net rating is ridiculous. We have the defensive player of the year and the MVP, all this stuff. Like the only way we don't, I mean, there's a lot of ways they wouldn't have won it, uh, potentially, but, 
Um, everything that complicates or adds intrigue or does anything to change circumstances from what they would have been is bad because it just introduces new variables. It introduces new possible ways for things to go sideways for them. And like the thing that hangs over Milwaukee, every single thing they do is Giannis and what's going to happen with his potential free agent with this supermax. Um, so basically everything that could make this whole thing interesting is just not good for them. Um, so, and, and the home court advantage and, and all that stuff is, is part of it. So they might be a, a sneaky loser in all this. I didn't even really consider until you mentioned that. And what probably helps them is that the East is still the East. And since all the playoff series are best of seven, they would really have to do, there would have to be a choke job on their part where, you know, Eric Bledsoe, who was having a good year, just comes back and, you know, forgets how to play or something. It would have to be along those lines. Well, he does that in the playoffs every year anyway. So you got to you have to price, price that one in. That's my shot at Eric Bledsoe, by the way. Look, I, it's uh, fair after two postseasons of disappointment for him. <laughs> uh, no, I, do, do you want to talk about, uh, let's, I just want to, so the Nets, um, Kevin Durant's not going to play. Um, I am, I have mixed feelings on that. Um, what really? do you think any of, yeah, I do. Um, and so I'll, I'll just give them to you now. Um, I, every time there is a significant injury to a player that he could come back and play, even if the games are, are not that important, um, towards the end of a season, I always think back to Paul George, um, right. who came back after the broken leg and played, I don't even know, it was like maybe six games or maybe even less than that at the end of that year. And I don't know, maybe I'm projecting like what I would feel in that situation, but like to sort of eliminate all of the mental uncertainty of like, can I do this? Is my body going to hold up? Um, you know, it, the, the, all of the jitters of the first game back, the first time you fall, like, you know, you're sort of picking yourself up, hoping everything is, is fine. Like the, the whole mental side of that if you can knock that out in some meaningless late season games so that when you start next year, you're just like, I'm just playing now. I've already done this. This isn't weird. I'm not scared. Um, I think, I think that has some value to it. Um, but obviously the counter is that like if Kevin Durant were to come back and get hurt for a Nets team playing in a like weird setup that in which they had no chance to win a title or advance, probably that would be a real bad look. But um, I'm definitely open to the idea of like, get out there and just like see how it feels. Because do you want to do that at the beginning of next year or do you want to get it out of the way? I don't know. That that's I don't know what you think about that, but I could go either way. I, I definitely understand the why not get the six games, that like the, the, I'm not saying exactly six games, why not get some games out of the way like Paul George did in 2015. That was also Paul George's age 24 season. And Fair. When you're looking at Kevin Durant and then the type of injury that he suffered. The other thing I'll say, and I didn't really think of this until now, but regardless of when it comes, Kevin Durant's Nets debut is going to to come in an empty arena. Has that really just dawned on you? That's crazy. You know, (laughs) let's get super sidetracked. Uh, I've been watching uh, some Bundesliga. So I can tell you, you're hurting. (laughs) If you, if you pipe in that crowd noise, you don't really tell, you can't really tell the difference. Uh, But but yeah, no, that's, that's definitely going to be a strange thing either way. Um, Man, now I want to talk about the nets because I just decided today that I don't think any of this is going to work with the KD Kyrie thing going forward. Let's get into it. The one thing I want to say though, let's, I want to focus on the pumping crowd noise. I don't know that they would ever do this because there are, you've covered games, like some of the stuff that's set on the court, like even if you set up, um, a last dance style separation where you have the channel that's 
you know, parental advisory or explicit content or whatever, like that stuff cannot hit the airwaves. And I, I still want the players just to be mic'd up. I want to hear what we can hear it. If it's empty anyway, like you don't need to have them really mic'd up, but if you know, mic them up, maybe they'll be a little bit more, uh, cognizant of what they're saying, knowing they're mic'd up because there are players that are, that are mic'd up throughout the season. And then they cut clips and they'll, they'll show them to the fans. I want to hear it. I want to hear what's actually going on on the court. And maybe that in- same intensity is uh, difficult or impossible to duplicate since there is no fans or uh, n- organic noise in the arena then. But, but let's just try it. Like, let's do something that's entirely experimental here. So, okay. So I am sort of in principle, I like, I hate the, uh, the, were you know hey, let's see what Steve Kerr said uh, before the start of the second quarter you know it, it, it they, you get the the coach tracks and it's always like we guys we got a rebound uh, we got to play with effort and let's uh, let's really get three stops like you know that's just totally valueless um, and that's because Turner or ESPN or whoever is is sanitizing it they don't want to give strategy away they don't want to give away that stuff so it's sort of like inauthentic in a way. Um, and I feel that's the same way when they mic players up because they just give you the cuts of like, good job, and you know, that type of thing. All that said, I would pay so much money to get the feed <laughs> of even even the curated, sanitized, like make it PG-13 if you have to. Um, I want all that. I think I think there's such a huge missed opportunity if they don't do something. Um, because people want crazy, like playing World Cup style, let's get creative format-wise, like, we're not going to get that, but let's like, there's still ways to play around with this and make it more interesting than it might otherwise have been. And that's definitely one. Like I, I just, they got to do something like that. I really hope they give us some kind of, you know, bonus access or just eavesdropping type thing. I think that would be huge. I will say, I believe it was Ethan Strauss of the athletic that pointed this out. Uh, the New Zealand basketball league does allow like coaches huddles to be basically broadcast. The NBA would never do that because it's like state secrets with them. Yeah. But well, well, and like you'd have some coach saying something terrible about, you know, a player on the other team or just using the, you know, who knows the wrong word choice or, or something could just, a guy could totally get canceled just for yelling in a huddle. I, I don't think the players want any of that, but like, look, we do this. They, they already do this. You just, just have the network scrub it, you know, just clean it up. I'm willing for it to come on a on a little bit longer of a delay if it means yep. that we get we get something resembling that. Um, and and to the coaches huddle point, like maybe we need to figure out if certain coaches, if not all coaches, are actually even going to be allowed in the team huddles at this point. That still seems oh. to be a little undecided. But hey, let's talk let's talk about the Nets. I was going to ask you uh, how mad Kawhi Leonard is that there's going to be no off season this year and that the <laughs> NBA was talking about trying to condense the schedule because I thought maybe this would be the impetus to. Could they just switch to starting around Christmas permanently? But given that they're trying to start next season, December 1st, and they've talked, um, I believe this was, who was talking about this? Was it Bobby Marks was talking about it? Or maybe it was Woj? It was one of the, uh, someone at ESPN, I believe. Oh, it was Tim Bontemps of ESPN uh, said that Hawks general manager Travis Schlank said on a conference call with reporters this morning that the NBA has indicated to the league's GMs that next year's schedule could be condensed and in order to try to keep the league as close to its usual timeline as possible. Does condensed mean more back-to-backs, more game, more four, four games in five nights? Does it mean a shorter schedule? I'd argue the former, given how much the NBA cares about its revenue. Uh, that's just something I found, if we wanted to quickly touch on that, I found it just a little bit fascinating because I thought maybe 
Um, or, but maybe they've perhaps already gauged the player's interest in starting around that time, Christmas permanently, and they've just decided it's it's not an option. But it does seem like they're really trying to stick after this season um, to the normal schedule or at least try to get back to it relatively soon. So, I, you know, I feel like when I, cause I saw that too, I felt like there was just something I was missing, like not understanding about, you know, what the league's priorities were. Like it seemed like, you know, load management is an accepted thing now. And if anything, you know, all this talk about shortening the season was a huge topic all this season, more than it ever been before the Christmas start. Everybody was, I think, rightly targeting that as like, well, let's, let's, if we're going to tweak something, let's do that. Um, but I think, and this is a cynical, uh, way to look at it, but it's also the same reason we're even talking about this at all is that the NBA, I think wants to, get the money that it can get. And if that means playing more games in a shorter amount of time, even if that's just so antithetical to what the trends have been in terms of rest and load management. And, you know, we want to get rid of these games that nobody cares about. Um, I think it's just as simple as like, well, if we just have them play more often, but the same number of games, like we get our money, right? Like that, that generates more revenue. I, I don't know if that's too simplistic of a way to do it, but um, that made me, if, if that seems like to me, the thing that I just was overlooking is, is that it seems like there's a lot of good ideas to do things differently, but maybe if those don't make as much money, they're by definition, not good ideas for the parties principally concerned. I agree with that latter sentiment. I think that's absolutely <laughs> what it is because there, look, there's definitely validity to fewer games because it's going to make said games matter more, yeah. but fewer games means, you know, at like that's going to impact everything I would think from the TV deals uh, to just the gate revenues as well. And so that's, I would agree with you that maybe the NBA kind of use it as a non-option at this point. It's weird though, because like the argument, so there are some arguments that if you have fewer games, they will be more interesting and more meaningful. Therefore there will be more interest in them, which I guess you could somehow parlay into making more money off of them, whether you're, you know, your per game deal with your RSN is, is greater somehow. I don't know, you know, when those all get renegotiated, if that's anytime soon, but like, it does just seem like, especially now with owners and teams taking hits for the games, not being played, it seems like the time for innovation and potentially sacrificing money to experiment is just like, this isn't it. So, so I think that's the other factor is we, you know, there's even more urgency to, um, sort of make sure you're in the black um, next season to the extent that's even possible. Let's talk some nets now. What is what is these scorching, molten, <laughs> volcanic, pyrotechnic takes you have about the Brooklyn Nets? It's I I don't know I it, I guess it, I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but like I just what what is are we sure that that. I feel like this is someone else's bit, the are we sure thing. But, like, are we sure that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as the two best players on a team, um, as, you know, whatever versions of those guys we get going forward, both on the court and off and in the locker room with whatever coach they hire? Like, are we? is this a top four team in the East? Is, is that even too optimistic? I mean, Kevin Durant is an all-time great, but, you know, wrong side of 30, devastating injury. Um, Kyrie Irving has been hard to deal with everywhere forever. Um, Durant, I think was hard to deal with, uh, with the Warriors. I think that's just very much on the record now. 
Um, and like, if it's going to be Tom Thibodeau, it's I, like, I just, I don't know. I mean, the, it seems to me that the potential for things to go wrong is so much greater than it is to go right. Uh, and, and maybe that's just, maybe if I see Kevin Durant take the court whenever that happens and he's awesome, I would change my tune. But um, I don't know, man, like I was thinking of it in the context of if I'm a coach out there, do I want this job at all? Like that, I, my answer is no, I don't want anything to do with the Nets job. Uh, I would pay lots of money to see Mark Jackson end up there. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. Like, because that's also a possibility. That's the other thing. It like, seems like could... it would just be take something that's already combustible and, and add more spontaneity to it. The thing I'm having a hard time getting over is that it seemed like um, Durant, it's there were some of the reporting, I think it was Shams had it. Um, Durant initially uh, said he had done some research on Kenny Atkinson and, you know, really liked the way he approached the game and all this other stuff. Never played a game for him. Um, and look, he wasn't starting DeAndre. That's a deal breaker in my book. I mean, that actually is a factor, which is like, that's crazy <laughs> that, that, that could be, I mean, that people, if that's a, if that's an issue, you got the wrong people in positions of power. Um, cause that shouldn't matter. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. Um, that it's, I don't have a long rant. That's just, I was just thinking today, like, I want no part of that job. I, I just think, I think you're set up to fail there. The look, Kevin Durant is the swing piece there because Kyrie Irving isn't dealing with a career threatening injury. He's just injury prone. And he's still kind of like, he's not at the age where you have to worry about like, is his body just going to completely fall apart? But maybe he is still it's what is Kevin Durant. When he comes back, is he a top 10 player, top 15, top 20, top 25 fringe all-star? I don't know if he's still a top five player. I just, someone of his magnitude at the point he was in his career has never suffered uh, this type of Achilles injury. When you look at, you know, there were some players that were in their primes. I think Elton Brand was there. Was was Chauncey Billups around his prime? Am I even misnaming Chauncey Billups? I'm trying to think. That no, no, you're, he he was he was later on though. I, I mean, well, the thing is, you think of these guys getting these injuries toward the end of their career because the injury ends their career. Like that's that's <laughs> that's why we think of it as not happening in their primes because it ends their primes basically. I mean, Dominique Wilkins, I think, is the long time example. Um, but I mean. That's just the odds aren't good, uh, obviously. But but um, I honestly like the Kyrie injury doesn't even bother me. I just think the only thing we know about Irving is that like your team can work if you have the best player in the world on it with him, and if you don't, then things kind of don't go so great. Um, and I don't think Kevin Durant's going to be the best player in the world when he comes back. I do sort of wonder though what happens in Boston if he never gets that injury in 2018, and where the the pecking order doesn't all of a sudden feel like it's up for debate because of what Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, Marcus, like in all those players and Hal Horford did without him. So I, my more main concern is what does Kevin Durant look like? Um, beyond that though, how are they fleshing out the rest of this roster? You have Joe Harris is a free agent. And then there were the, the report from Brian Winters that the next re- nets are kind of focused on getting a third star for Kyrie and Durant via trade. And so they don't have like any of those, blue chip draft assets. But like, if you look at Karis Levert's contract, um, Spencer Dinwiddie's contract, Jared Allen still being on a rookie scale deal, they can build some interesting offers like those. Maybe if teams are more willing to take back actual players rather than draft picks, which by the way, the Nets could also throw in. If you get a distant draft pick from them, that could end up being like a tasty dish. Uh, sort of the, you know, just the, the Lakers 
Pelicans trade where that 2024 slash could be 2025 first round pick. LeBron's going to be like 80 at that point. Is he even still going to be in Los Angeles or playing at all? So they could build some interesting packages, but are they so in a rush to get a bigger name or someone they deem just better fitting with Kyrie and Durant uh, that they're going to end up making this impulsive move? And that's what it felt like with Kenny Atkinson to me. Um, it felt a little short-sighted. And if they do make a trade, who is it for? Because like, there's not a third star out there that let's say they could get anyone that's going to crop up on the trade market realistically. Does Drew Holiday put this team over the top? Does Bradley Beal put this team over the top when what they seem to need is kind of like a lockdown wing defender who can play combo forward? And that star just isn't out there for them to kind of get. And so to me, they have a better chance of being fine if they don't do anything. Bring back Harris, See what you kind of have. If there's a if there's a move out of the blue where you can get, I'm just I'm just even struggling to come up with a name because it just doesn't. They need such a specific type of player, and so that concerns me. The other thing is you've now punted on one year of what's a three year title window because yep. Kyrie and Kevin Durant have player options on those fourth years, and we assume unless if they're picking up those player options, something bad has probably happened. And now, do you, are you technically punting on next year, too, regardless of what trade you make? Because Kevin Durant hasn't played basketball in, you know, at that point, you know, if you were thinking he was going to be ready for um, the regular season next year, which would presumably start at the end of October, now all of a sudden you're shifting that to the beginning of December. It's just an extra month that he's out of uh, the NBA's competitive basketball format. And what we've always seen with players who have suffered these major injuries, is it's going to take at least some time for them to get back to whatever their new normal is, for go- like no matter what it's going to be. Even with Rudy Gay, it took him a little while to get there. So are you sort of punting on next year a little bit? Because even if Kevin Durant is really good, like it's his first time playing with all of these guys. You didn't get that buffer year like it seems like many of these super teams need. The Golden State Warriors, uh, when Kevin Durant went there in 2016, being just an exception where if all the pieces just fit so seamlessly, they were dominant right off the bat. This seems more like a, most of LeBron James's teams situations where he changed squads, going to Miami, back to Cleveland, then back to that, not back to, but then to LA, like they needed a little bit of time to mesh. And even that LA team never really got off the ground before they traded for Anthony Davis. So there's a chance that you're, if you don't want to use the word punt here, there's a chance that you've now lost two seasons of what was effectively a three-year title window. I think that what this sets up for, and this plays into my, uh, my original hot take of like Brooklyn is a stay away for a lot of reasons. I think this sets up for just some more rash decisions. I mean, Atkinson was one. Um, You could certainly argue that, that, um, you know, maybe he just wasn't the coach that was, he's the coach that gets you up to a certain point. He's not the coach that gets you to the title. I'm not persuaded by that. It's po- um, it is possible though. I just it is whole, possible. My whole thing was I thought he deserved the chance to coach the team at full strength. And then my other thing is, and this goes for a lot of coaching vacancies right now. Like, who is the upgrade? Like, who are you oh. getting that you know is going to be at least a lateral fit, if not a better one? That's always the question. Um, and and usually the answer is like, well, we don't know. We just wanted not this person. But um, I I think so. Maybe just because we were talking about him, but like. What if you go Levert, Jared Allen, and some filler, and you go just let's get Rudy Gobert in the last year of his deal? Like I think, even though that's not to what come he off needs, the they... bench behind DJ. <laughs> I 
I think you need some concessions from uh, from the the people in power that DJ. <laughs> you know, you know what is insane is that that is the reason. That's the only reason the Nets wouldn't make that terrible decision, and it's the wrong reason. <laughs> Look, kudos to DeAndre Jordan. He's got to like really just be a fantastic friend. Hey, if this is, it's who you know. It's who you know. That's it. That's all it is in life. He knows the right people. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. I, we've probably talked a lot more on the Nets than I anticipated, but um, so, sorry for the hot take. Well, it's funny that you said you didn't have a long rant, and then I ended up going on one about the Nets who I did not plan to discuss. Does anyone stand out? Rudy Gobert is a name I didn't think about. If you can get him, I guess maybe he's the guy that fits, and we'll just assume that DJ then goes uh, comes off the bench there. I was, I was kidding, I hope. I just don't – like – it's what's the problem with the Nets is it feels like they need like built-in security on both ends of the floor because they don't have that lockdown yeah. defender, but you also need that safety net on offense. I guess you would still have like do you have to give up Dinwiddie and Levert in that scenario to get Gobert because then you're in trouble. Like where's the yeah? Other I, I I don't know. I think I mean I think I pitched something uh, involving Kevin Love just because like you got to get him off the Cavs somehow. But yeah, defensively, that's, that's a non-starter. Um, and, and he's just, you know, I don't know. That means Kevin Durant guards your, your, your high scoring threes, basically. Right. I just, I mean, I don't think that's, yeah, no, that's the thing. They're in a tough spot. And like this, as we've said, and I'm sure you've said several times in several other episodes, like this is not the summer to be on the hunt for like a, a big, like, let's get this guy that is going to just make everything right with our team. Like those guys just really aren't, there in free agency and i think too like i don't know uh, the 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 potential for trades feels somehow like it's going to be changed just because i don't know do you think teams are going to teams might be more or less willing to make big sweeping decisions based on this weird end to the season like they might view it as like well that was a weird small sample we just we don't know yet um like the thunder are a team that like so much is up in the air going forward. Like, do you re-sign Gallo to play on a team that's going to contend or do you sign him? I think you re-sign him either way because you can trade him, obviously. But like a lot, you're going to have to make a lot of decisions on a tiny sample of strange regular season games and and then a tiny sample of weird playoff games. Like, I just don't know what that's going to do to roster building as a whole. I think it'll have some potentially chilling effect on big sweeping changes. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. I the, for the Nets specifically, uh, I know people have talked about Ben Simmons for them. I just it's not happening mostly because the Sixers shouldn't be at that point. But now you're factoring in like this small wacky playoff sample. You definitely can't get to a point where you're thinking about breaking up and bead or Simmons. But is there something to be done where you have those like nice filler contracts with Levert and Dinwiddie? You have Allen. You have picks. Uh, well, I don't really know if you should be giving up picks in this scenario, but. Does Josh Richardson and then one of Al Horford or Tobias Harris end up helping the Nets? Those contracts aren't great, but are they better fits for what they're trying to build around Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? Someone like Josh Richardson would be perfect. Um, So that's just speaking aloud, but I feel like that would be the level of deal that's out there. And then what they would need to give up to get a Bradley Beal or even a Drew Holiday, I'm just not sure it ends up moving the needle enough for them. Like That defense all of a sudden gets incredibly rough if you have a Beal, Durant, Kyrie Irving team. No, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, defensively is where they need to improve, and it's just I just don't know. I don't know where you get it. Um, like, I, I well, are they a tax team? I, what, do they have the yeah, full mid level or the mini? They're going to be the mini uh, mid level this year. 
so that's not going to do anything for you. Like, you know, someone like Derek Jones Jr. Um, might be interesting if you're just trying to, I mean, maybe you want to play a bunch of zone with Durant and Irving and he would definitely make your zone really good. But like many mid levels, not going to cut it for him. I don't think I just, I'm looking through free agency right now. I just, I don't, I don't see how you do it. Yeah. Do you even um, get a Justin holiday for the mini min level at this point? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, like I don't, I honestly don't know that Kent Bazemore would be gettable for like, for the mini mid level. Right. I think he might get more than that. Um, maybe you go, is D'Anthony Melton a free? He's restricted, right? Yeah, they're not. I mean, mini level's not going to. He can't. He can only make a certain amount, but the, he's getting more than the mini level. Yeah, that I just anyone that could you could talk yourself into helping. I just I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm coming around to like you just keep Harris for probably whatever it takes, um, and then you just hope somebody is interested in a package of Dinwiddie and Allen or Karis LeVert and Allen. Even though like I don't know if I want to trade those guys because of what you just said about like this title window is now a third, the size you thought it was. And it's, I mean, this, I don't know what the ceiling is, but the ceiling on these nets is not as high as I think they would like. No, it's definitely not. It'll be fascinating to see how it plays out for them. And we're not going to see any of it play out in Disney world because neither Irving nor Durant is expected to play grant. This was a lot of fun. First podcast that I've gone over an hour with in quite some time. So I think it warranted it. Lots of stuff to talk about. And of course, we needed to spend 20 minutes on the Nets' future. I think that was a given. Had to do it. Follow Grant on Twitter, peeps, if you don't already, at GT underscore Hughes. Until next time, we leave you with the shout out to the Brooklyn Nets' next head coach. Good luck to him or her. They're, they're going to need it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.